Hello and welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show. I'm your host, Tani Levitt, and later I will be joined by college basketball's assist king, Jerry Meyer. We're going to talk about renewed rivalries, Jim Beheim's interesting comments about Georgetown, and preview the heavyweight matchup on Saturday between Kansas and Villanova. But first, I want to talk about Georgetown. Over the past month, four players have transferred out of the Georgetown men's basketball program. That's a ton especially when you consider that Georgetown is about to begin conference play. For example, four players transferred away from Cal in 2018, but all of those transfers happened after the season. Starting last Saturday at Syracuse, Georgetown will be playing the remainder of its games with just seven scholarship players. This is interesting in its own right, and Jerry and I will talk about that later, but the circumstances surrounding these four transfers deserves some attention. On December 2nd, it was revealed that Josh LeBlanc, Galen Alexander, and Myron Gardner were the subjects of two civil lawsuits, in which a female student at Georgetown accused the three basketball players of threatening her, quote, personal safety and well-being. The first of the two civil suits listed only LeBlanc and Alexander, and include burglary, threats of physical violence, and verbal threats among the accusations. The second case was mutually resolved this Monday without a decision of guilt or innocence when Gardner, Alexander, and LeBlanc agreed to stay at least 50 feet away from the students in question, but the first suit involving just LeBlanc and Alexander is still pending. All three of the players named in these civil suits have filed to transfer from Georgetown. Alexander and Gardner did so this past Friday, and LeBlanc did so on December 2nd, the same day the civil suits were made public. In light of these transfers, Coach Patrick Ewing and the entire Georgetown basketball program have come under scrutiny, and rightfully so. The reporters over at Casual Hoya pointed out that LeBlanc, Gardner, and Alexander all played fewer minutes than expected to start the season. It was only after the allegations were revealed that they left the program. Did Ewing know about these allegations and continue to play the players in question? Is that why they saw fewer minutes on the court? as some sort of internal punishment? And even if Coach Ewing and Georgetown weren't aware of the accusations before December 2nd, they certainly were after December 2nd because I was. And Ewing's actions after the allegations were made public raise even more questions. First, I told you at the top that four players transferred from Georgetown, and thus far I've only mentioned three. James Okinjo announced that he was transferring from the program on December 2nd, the same day as LeBlanc, and the same day that these allegations were made public. However, unlike LeBlanc, Okinjo was just transferring for regular reasons. Nonetheless, Ewing announced LeBlanc and Okinjo's transfers in the same announcement, either as if he was unaware of the different circumstances surrounding the two transfers, or perhaps to obfuscate the reasons of LeBlanc's transfer. Whether Ewing was unaware or obfuscating, he left much to be desired with the way he handled that announcement. Secondly, Ewing continued to play Gardner and Alexander even after the accusations were made public. Why? We don't know. What we do know is that this isn't over. There is still plenty of information yet to be released or ascertained, and we at the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show will continue to monitor that as the season continues. But Patrick Ewing and Georgetown aren't the only ones who have failed to impress here. These three players stand accused of violent crimes. 
they are no longer allowed within 50 feet of one of their former classmates. And they have been allowed to enter the transfer portal and presumably continue their collegiate careers elsewhere. Why? Why does the NCAA allow athletes who stand accused of violent crimes transfer to other schools to continue their athletic careers? Does the NCAA not state that it is committed to teaching young student-athletes to be leaders? Young men and women who can say they are better people because of their time at NCAA universities. How often do coaches spend their press conferences telling us that they are molders of responsible young men? Doesn't it feel like these molders of responsible young men, both the coaches and at the NCAA, are shirking their responsibility by letting their players transfer and run away from the accusations, continuing to pursue their ambitions as if their prior actions didn't exist, as if the victims of their actions don't have to try to achieve their ambitions while dealing with the fallout of something horrible that an NCAA athlete or athletes brought upon them. So I ask again, Why does the NCAA allow athletes who stand accused of violent crimes transfer to other schools to enter the transfer portal? Jerry and I are going to talk about the fallout at Georgetown on the court after the break, about how they can't play at the fast pace they want to anymore because they don't have the bodies, about how Mac McClung is making a case for first-team All-Big East. But while we do that, we will know that there is a cloud hanging over Georgetown this season. No doubt about it. One more thing. If you or someone you know has been threatened or attacked, you can call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. So, with no transition, I want to talk about the net rankings. Their first edition was released this past Monday, and there's what to talk about. The net replaced the RPI as the official metric of the selection committee, my characterization, But obviously, other metrics like Haslam, Kenpom, Torvik, etc. will factor into the committee's selections come March, as well, of course, will the eye test. But there are some interesting tidbits that I think we should reflect on before I bring in Jerry for our conversation. Ohio State opens the net rankings number one for the second year in a row, and perhaps they're a little more deserving this year. The net rankings were released two weeks later than they were last year, and last year, Ohio State, nobody really had them in their top 20 of pretty much any rankings, AP or metrics or otherwise, and people were confused why they were number one. And this year, I think everyone is completely happy with Ohio State at number one, even if they did lose to Minnesota on Sunday. University of Virginia is all the way down at 43, and quite frankly, I'm pretty happy about this. I've been saying all season that their offensive struggles are more of a problem than everybody else's, and I think that that's really going to come back to bite them. And I think even though they have the number one defense in the country, the net ranking them at 43, I think is appropriate. Every undefeated team is in the top 20, including Liberty and Duquesne, who I don't think anybody is projecting to have a historic season, be undefeated, be a top five seed in the NCAA tournament. But you know what? They've earned it thus far. They are undefeated, and the net looks backwards, not forwards, so good for them. The Big Ten shines in this edition. Ten schools in the top 61 of the net. And yes, I know, for all you math heads out there, that's an arbitrary cutoff. My mom, prime among them, math teacher yelling at me. So for her, I'll say nine Big Ten schools in the top 60, if you prefer, and then Rutgers at 61. And like I said earlier, 
The net is a results-based metric, so it's really cool to see Memphis at 16. We'll talk about that more later when Jerry comes on. One thing for you guys to look forward to as the season goes on and as the net updates is that the quality of victory and quality of losses will change over the course of the year as teams reveal who they truly are. For example, if Michigan loses out for the rest of the year, their victory over Gonzaga will look increasingly bad for Gonzaga, even though it looks pretty good for them. You know, it looks pretty fine for them, I should say, right now. Meanwhile, one weird thing about NCAA basketball is that when your team finishes a game, you immediately start rooting for the team you just played to have success elsewhere. And what I mean by that is there are over 350 NCAA basketball teams, all of whom are eligible for the NCAA tournament. And obviously, we can't have a true round robin of 350 teams. That'd be, you know, three games a day or something. So the NCAA relies on things like Ken Palm and like the eye test to to evaluate. And one of the things that NCAA evaluators use is how good are the teams that you've beaten. This you know fairly reasonable. And so you have a situation where the second the clock strikes zero in a game, say between Ohio State and Minnesota, and Ohio State now will spend the rest of the season rooting for Minnesota because Minnesota beat them, even though just recently they were you know playing against each other, which is a, a funky thing. My Maryland Terrapins are playing Seton Hall this Thursday, and it, it was disappointing for me to see that Seton Hall couldn't finish it out against Michigan State, couldn't finish against Rutgers, you know, f- couldn't finish, lost disastrously against Rutgers. And no matter what happens between Maryland and Seton Hall, it's going to look worse for Maryland because Seton Hall hasn't played Uh, well over the course of the year. And so that's something to think about when it comes to the net. I think one of the good things about the net is that it reflects this reality of college basketball quite nicely. So that's my reflections on the net and on the off-court situation in Georgetown. Obviously, we'll continue to monitor both those developing stories over the course of the season. Uh, But let's take a break. And on the backside, we'll get Jerry to talk about Memphis, Kansas, and Villanova. All right, Jerry, and we're back. Good to have you in the office. It was uh, a little weird doing the solo intro without you. How you doing? I'm doing great. <clears throat> getting getting in the Christmas spirit. That's right. And uh, you know, just jumping right into it. I, I I don't know how many college basketball games or broadcasts you've watched because I know a lot of people these days. You know, they they put the game on, but then they mute it so that they can listen to the 24/7 Sports College Basketball Show. And I get that. <laughs> but if that's you, a great idea, <laughs> honestly. It really is. And if you are at home wondering, gosh, I can't stand listening to these broadcasts, what am I going to do? Jerry Meyer's beautiful voice, that's what you need to do. Listen, listen to that while you're watching college yeah, basketball. Listen to the words, not the voice. <laughs> <laughs> now you got a rich voice, and I, I like producing it. So what, one thing I've noticed, because I'm a fool and I've been leaving the broadcasts on, is that I heard a rumor, Jerry, that yeah. it's, it, it's final season in college. Did, mm-hmm. you, did you hear that? I know it happens around Christmas. Every single broadcast. My daughter just had, she's a freshman in college. She just took some. So, yeah, I'm aware. <laughs> and it's, it's wild because they talk about it literally every single year. And it's amazing. Yeah, why do this, they talk about it so much? I don't know. It's almost like. Like the, they actually have to do schoolwork? They ha- they they're, ha- they're actually student athletes? It's like, it's like the announcer <laughs> So like, oh my gosh, they actually have to go to school and, and do study and be under pressure. But I was so. You, you played college basketball. Uh, you know, we talk about all t- college basketball is all-time assisting. So what was it like for you when it was games during final season? I was, um, I was curious. No big deal. <clears throat> because I played, you know, at a high level in small college basketball. 
so we were not doing the travel i think travel is a kind of an aspect and i was a good student and i loved college i, I loved academics so it wasn't an issue for me well and i just enjoyed it <clears throat> um i was in school to go to school philosophizer in chief over here yeah so anyway I, I was an academic academic type guy so i can't really speak to that i think what i noticed uh playing it's more i don't think it was so much the exams uh but more like not being in day-to-day class like your routine gets changed mm-hmm. and i think some players tend to get lethargic because maybe they're sleeping in a little later than they used to they just don't have that same energy or you have different type energy where you're going you're you're stressed and, and worried about an exam and then you get that over with <clears throat> and then you don't have classes to go to like your, your daily routine's different i yeah, guess is what i'm trying to get to and uh sometimes you can see that affect the team that's why i think this time of year you don't see any really big time matchups no you know, everyone not. kind of puts the brakes on a little bit yeah, actually, I think uh, it was during one of Michigan State's games in Maui. They said that Michigan State had to ship out like a sealed midterm exam for one of their players. Yeah, it's tough. See, these on the road, and mm-hmm. you're in a hotel, and you, you know you're, you're out of your routine. And like, who on the road wants to be studying? Yeah, you, you know, commandeer. And you're in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they like you don't want to stay in the room. hotel room and study. Yeah, and 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 or so. Do work. <laughs> And so while while I was kind of in this mindset of thinking about, you know, things that it was like for you as a player, this morning I had a brutal workout. I'm not even going to lie. And so I was, I was thinking about it on the way to work as I was complaining. Uh, what what was your workout regimen like when you were playing college basketball? Oh, just like the daily grind? Yeah, yeah. Well, like uh, when you guys were in the gym, what were you doing? Well, I mean, a lot of times we were lifting weights at like 5.30 in the morning. 5.30 is very early. A lot of time we did... You know, I can't remember exactly what time, but it was really early. <laughs> and um, Could you still do that now? Lift weights at 5.30 in the morning? Yes, sir. How heavy are the weights? As heavy as you need. <laughs> I can, you know, I can, I can get up then and do whatever. I'm going to do it like a 50-year-old man who doesn't give a rip anymore <laughs> and, and doesn't exercise and has arthritis. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, I am not the same person I was in college, if that's the question. I'm but, sure you um, can still dunk. I can never dunk. <laughs> Imagine I'm like a lesser Steve Nash. <laughs> a lesser, a lesser Steve but, um, Nash. Yeah, so you're weightlifting before class, uh, breakfast, go to school, practice, do, do school work, do study work, you know, do whatever you got to do study-wise. And so, you know, like, so you're lifting and you're, and you're playing, you know, you're practicing or playing a game. I mean, that's and so basically you, the routine for all these teams. And you played here locally at Lipscomb, right? Uh, yeah, three years there, then a year at University Duluth. of Minnesota Duluth. That's right. And so when you were at Lipscomb, who were your biggest rivals? Belmont. Belmont. And and so I asked that because uh, this past week we had a couple rivalries rekindled. Mm-hmm. We talked about uh, Memphis and Tennessee, and later we're going to talk about Syracuse and Georgetown. And, t- and so for you as a player, like what, what were those rivalry games like? Oh, I mean, there's nothing like the, the Belmont game. Um, I played in the very first Battle of the Boulevard. We sold out Vanderbilt's gym. Uh, so there's like 15,000 people there and uh, scalping tickets for $100. Scalping That's from... the word on the street. No, Because whoa. we were uh, both unbelievably talented, good teams. Like, I would say, like, out of the starting five, seven played professionally, I could have but didn't because my body was broke down. I mean, I just didn't want to go through the European grind. Um 
I was just kind of done by the time I graduated. But I mean, it was really it was the highest level of you know it would it would equate to like good kind of like Lipscomb and Belmont on their good years now. I mean, so it's yeah, a great talent game. Two good teams. No, I had sixteen points, a bunch of assists. Not bad. Maybe one of my more stylistic passes of my career. A nice behind the back for a dunk. Of course, you remember. Let's go. Let's go. Um, so, so Memphis, Memphis, Tennessee rekindle their rivalry. Obviously, we have the back and forth between the coaches, whether or not we'll continue. But, but it's really, it's really exciting to see these things, uh, these, these rivalry games continue. It's, I think it's exciting for the players and the fans. Um, it's good to have the these coaches local don't fans. really care. I don't think. Probably more. The coaches probably don't like it as much, and I don't think Memphis and Tennessee are going to keep playing, are they? I heard. I, I heard think that's unfortunate. After the game, it seemed like the coaches were a little, a little more. Oh, did they talk openly? I did not. Yeah, hear yeah. That Penny, talk. Penny apologized. He said, "I, you know, I spoke, I spoke a little too aggressively." Yeah, basically. that was a little weird last year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, one one of the other rivalries that that rekindled this year, Syracuse and Georgetown, who obviously haven't been playing since. Uh, Syracuse left the Big East, right? And that's 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 a that's story. A classic. Man. I mean, for me, as a, you know, I'm 50 years old, so I grew up. I remember when the Big East started playing on cable. You know, I don't know what they call it, like Big East Monday or something like that. And that was huge. And that, it, yeah, in my mind, that's an epic rivalry. Syracuse Georgetown. The history is amazing, and they those two teams did a whole lot to as sort of like catalyst to promote and get college basketball on the big TV stage. You know, Dick Vitale had a lot to do with that as well. And uh, But those two teams, yeah, that rivalry. You got, like, North Carolina Duke and then kind of Syracuse-Georgetown. Like, those were the t- such huge games when yeah. I was growing up. Uh, unfortunately, this was a, a Syracuse-Georgetown game to remember ended 51-47. Well, and it, it didn't look like <laughs> the Georgetown-Syracuse games. Uh, that I remember from the past, uh, you know, not as athletic, not as long, and um, teams depleted, not as good. Uh, it, you would, it did not look like what I remembered. No, but I did see that you uh, were watching tape from that game yesterday. You li- yeah. really liked uh, what you saw from Dolajai on Syracuse. Well, I like that he can, he's so skinny, and he, but yet he scored through contact. It was just a random observation, but um, maybe it's a kind maybe of a the- throwback style in that he had the ability to go up through contact and then wait on the release and that's how I was taught to play you absorb contact you know then you try to shoot with touch and he does a great job of using the glass kind of old school you know gave him a little play now I don't know that he does that at night in night out but I was I was very impressed uh, in that Georgetown game with you know how he converted buckets inside perhaps the only uh, thing worth taking away for Syracuse but uh, after the game, we had some very interesting comments from Syracuse coach Jim Beheim. Obviously, uh, for those of you guys at home listening, you already heard in the intro, four players have left Georgetown's program in the past month. Three, uh, All four transferred away. Three are uh, involved in a civil suit involving some other students on campus. We already got into that. But from an on-court perspective, Georgetown is winning games with seven scholarship players. Now they have a couple guys who it looks like they have scholarships, but were originally walk-on. So basically, what we're saying is that they have seven guys where they were actively recruiting and are running out. And then after the game, Coach Jim Beheim says, and I'm going to read this quote so I get it right. I think their last three games is the team they are. 
They got rid of a guy that wouldn't pass the ball to anybody and just shot it every time. That's why they're good now. Jerry, yeah. if, you, if you were a player on Georgetown, if you were this player, how, how would you react to an opposing coach saying this? Because I'm wouldn't, blown You away. wouldn't like it. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, I, I was always I under mean, the impression. I, it's it's kind of obvious. Like I was under the impression that like there's 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 like a rule among coaches like you coach your guys. Well, it's very I'll coach unusual. We can guys. talk about that. Yeah. I mean, of course, uh, Akingo's right. Who's it about? Akinjo. Yeah. yeah. Of course he doesn't like it, and he probably he probably doesn't give a rip either. Um, he's he's got a lot on his plate more than whatever Jim Beheim in his curmudgeon himself wants to say. But um, there you rarely hear that. Like I, I'm surprised to hear that. I'm. Coming from Bayheim, I'm not that surprised. He's a kind of a surly. And I think he's at a place in his career he'll say whatever he thinks. Uh, but that is unusual. Yeah, usually you don't make negative comments about other teams' players, but he's not on their team anymore. And I think he was just being brutally honest. And just, I don't think Bayheim cares. <laughs> and if you were Patrick Ewing, how would you react to that? You know, like uh, that? I'd be like, whatever. Yeah, you like. I mean, he doesn't play for him anymore. Yeah, but he's still taking shots at the program. You know, you. What and, shot did he take? Like that, that, that. Oh, that, that you were a bad this, coach because you were playing a guy you shouldn't have played. Hey, like you know, this yeah. is a person you brought into. If you your thought program. it through that deeply, I don't know. That's why it's very unusual. It, it, it's it's just bizarre. I mean, like, name another instance where a coach has talked like that. It would probably be tough. I mean, it's not like we're keeping a chart, so you probably don't know. No, but I, it, it you don't it's remember. Very, it's out of the ordinary. Very out of the ordinary. I mean, Bayheim when when he loses and when he he's not feeling good, <laughs> you know, he'll say some things, and that's what he did there. Yeah. So, so look, looking at Georgetown now, just from from a rest of the season perspective, they are in an interesting moment because you know what, the Syracuse win. That was their third in a row. Last night, they go and, and cruise against UMBC. And I don't know, maybe UMBC was distracted because they appointed a new athletic director yesterday. I don't know. That does not distract I'm joking. I'm okay, joking. good. I'm glad that was a joke. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a very not serious joke. But okay, yeah, Georgetown goes up 14-0, cruises the rest of the uh-huh. game. But they are an interesting team because they, until until – uh, yesterday, or as of, I say, should say yesterday before the game, they were playing the 34th fastest pace in the country. And now they're down to seven guys. That's not sustainable, is it? Oh, I mean, you can play fast with seven guys. Yeah, they just, just have to be healthy. Well, so so here's here's the other thing. Two of those guys are like big lumbering centers. They got a six eleven guy and a seven two guy. Like that just seems to me like it's unsustainable. I, like, I thought your seven. Oh, your seven. Yeah, he was getting down the court. He he looked really really good last night. Had I think yeah I think he led the team in scoring. Maybe had twenty two. But well, the I think guy, depth's overrated. <laughs> I, I think depth in, in, overrated in the sense that. The games aren't that hard. I mean, they you, you get how many TV timeouts? A half, you get four TV timeouts a half. That's a lot of timeouts. That's eight in a game. Yeah, but Plus it just other means- timeouts. I mean, are they pressing defensively? I don't remember watching them press. No, I don't think so. So just because you run fast down the court on offense, golly gee. I mean, <laughs> you know, I think seven's enough. If you got seven guys that can play – you know, I, as far as playing fast and having a bunch of players, I think that's why they're playing better now because most players want to be in a seven-man rotation. They don't want to play in a nine-man rotation. It's not like the guys on the bench who weren't getting as many minutes can't play. Obviously, they can. That's what we're seeing now. 
often there is addition by subtraction. I know I grew up with my dad, who was a coach, always saying, I've never seen a team get worse after a player quit. Now, I know these, this is like a weird circumstance, and they're not necessarily quitting. You know, we have legal issues and whatnot. But that's an energy that's negative on a team. So a lot of times when you release negative energy for whatever reason it is negative, and I'm not saying these kids are negative people. You follow what I'm saying? But the energy for the team is not so positive. And there can be a breath of fresh air and opening, and guys get an opportunity. And um, well, they seem a lot of these guys can, are good basketball players, and, and Coach Ewing can coach. So I'm not shocked that they're doing well. Plus, Syracuse is not the Syracuse that no. I'm used to seeing. So we'll see how it goes. You know. Well, they had they had even before Syracuse, they had two two very interesting games. They played at Oklahoma State, at SMU, yeah, won both they, those games, and and didn't they beat NC State too. Or am I off on that? Uh, that uh, that or wasn't that one thing. No, another team. Okay. Anyway, keep going. Um, but the one guy who's really stepped up in all these players' absences is Mac McClung. Yeah. And and McClung is an interesting character. You know, he he had just eight points last night, but you know, once once the Hoyas were up fourteen zero, it they. They kind of just uh, dropped it into second gear, um, but he did. He did, for what it's worth, have a, a, a Sports Center top ten dunk last night, which is no surprise because mm-hmm. Mac McClung, as everybody knows, famous from his high school mixtapes, that guy can jump out the ceiling any building, dunk, dunk the hell yeah, out of the ball. Yeah, great two foot jumper. <laughs> yeah, but he but he's putting up thirty three points at Oklahoma State, nineteen at SMU, twenty six at Syracuse, and and he's leading this Hoya team. And so I was curious to to ask you when you when you saw him in high school, what were you seeing out of Mac McClung, and what do you seeing out of him now you know i know mm-hmm. you think that he's in a really good situation uh on this georgetown oh, program. sure because they need him to score <laughs> he's going to get a lot of minutes what i like about mcclung and i'm not saying i had a total grasp on this when i watched him in high school but i, I feel very confidently about this now and i think it's kind of undisputable uh he's tough he's a clutch player he's not scared he, he's willing to take that shot. That's the huge thing. I mean, there's a lot of guys that can shoot as good as McClung. Maybe not a lot, but, you know, there's a couple on every team, right, who could be like a 40% three-point shooter. But are they willing, you know, are they tough enough mentally and physically? Do they crave the challenge? Do they want to take that tough shot? He likes to do that. So when I watched him in high school, um, when he played and you scouted him, you didn't – like there were a lot of games he didn't get a dunk okay what, what the mixtape guys did a great job of the dunks that he did get that were spectacular you know they got him on tape because they're following the guy around um so you didn't think i mean the, and again the dunk is two points so from a scouting perspective you're like that's wow it's great plus he's a two-foot jumper and for a guard you know i, I would prefer a one-foot jumper um but you saw a guy who didn't shy away from the action, seemed to be a very aware player. He played with awareness. He was engaged. You know, look his looking to be in the right spot. A lot of the dunks came off of back cuts, Yeah, which is no right. surprise. Right. He knows how to cut. Uh, he, he tries to be in the right place on defense. You saw that. Limited as a ball handler, you know, and that's why he went ranked high because he's not a point guard. And at that size, that's tough. Uh, and he's very right-handed as far as driving the ball 
but he will make a shot. And, man, if if you have the right team around you, if you're in that spot, you're the, quote, shooter for a team. you got other guys who can handle the ball. He, he doesn't turn the ball over much. He doesn't give you a lot of assists, but he's, he's conservative with his ball handling. But he has – I want, he has the toughness, <laughs> the kahunas. Can I say that? Yeah, yeah. To absolutely. take the big shot and to, he doesn't shy away from the pressure, and he can shoot. And yep. so all he's got to do is shot fake one dribble right, mm-hmm. and take a shot or kick it out. You know, you don't have to be great at everything no. to be a valuable player for a team. And he's got a perfect niche right now at Georgetown. Yeah, I mean, there's no surprise. You know, coming out of high school, it was two two hundred forty five in the twenty four seven sports composite. Mm-hmm. But you know what? At 245, this is a guy who broke Allen Iverson's high school record for scoring in Virginia. Uh, This is a guy who all of a sudden quietly is shooting 42% from three on the year, 93% from the free throw line. And you know what? He was one shot shy of... 50% 50% from three since these guys transferred away from the program. And I don't think I don't think we can understate that. That he sees he sees a void to be filled and he's stepping up. He's that type of guy. He has the right he has the mentality you want. The other thing I like about him, for a guy who got such notoriety for his dunking, he doesn't play and act like he's that guy. You know, he's a serious basketball player just trying to grind out and make the grinded out common plays and make them uncommonly well for his team and a lot of guys like him you see him out there all they're doing is just trying to get that next dunk and he, he does not play like that no I mean he, he like like I said last night he was pretty uninvolved but he had a really really nice assist uh, drove the lane drew two dropped it to the big really good stuff from McClung so Here's here's a really hot take for you, Jerry. I don't think you're ready for this. We've got we've got James Wise. I'm, I'm I'm like the Mac McClung of podcasters. Jam- Jam- <laughs> so I see a void. We've got we've got James Wiseman out for an extended period of time. We've got Cole Anthony now missing four to six weeks, had surgery on his knee. Mm-hmm. We've got an underwhelming freshman class for the most part. Anthony Edwards is you know aside from that game in Maui, not necessarily playing like the number one draft pick. And we've got, say, Obi Toppin is not televised so much in Dayton. Georgetown, nearly every single game is on FS1 or Fox, okay? Mac McClung is the guy everyone should be watching who could do something cool every night. This team needs it. He's got the ability. He could explode for a dunk. He could go off for four or five threes. He's the guy I think people should watch uh, just when you're looking for an exciting college basketball player to watch this year because he's filling that void. Mm-hmm. That's my take. Yeah. I mean, I, he's a good choice. <laughs> I thought I thought you were going to blow up at me. Absolutely well, not. He doesn't have the pedigree. <laughs> no. Well, I don't care about pedigree. I mean, we're talking about entertainment, right? Yeah, people watching a basketball game. I might not watch for the same reasons, but he would be a good one to watch. Sure. All right, let's do it. So, so for those of you at home who are muting the TV to listen to twenty four seven Sports College Basketball Show, turn turn the TV to FS One. Check out Georgetown Hoyas because Mac McClung might do something special. All right. So the last thing we usually like to do is talk about you know a couple games uh, from the upcoming. Uh, slate of games this this week and and this week we've got an interesting one. We've talked about Kansas Kansas a number of times on the pod, but you know they're they're really good and deserve the attention. Uh, and they've got a very interesting uh, matchup on Saturday. They're now the fifth number one team in the AP poll in just seven weeks, and they're traveling to Philadelphia to play Villanova at home. And so. You know, when we talk about uh, what we what we or when we discuss what we want to talk about today, 
I said I wanted to talk about this because this is an, a unique challenge for Kansas's big men. You know, in McCormick and Azubuki, they've got probably two of the most skilled big men, you know, in the country. The, and, and the two of them, they play a ton. Like only 7% of Kansas's possessions are both of them not on the floor. So they're, so they're always playing. One or the other is on the floor, right? Yeah, and then 30. You, yeah, what's the percentage when they're both on together? Like 30. Oh, it's that high? Uh, no, no, no. It's 17. It's 17.5%. Right? So like they play like almost a fifth of the game together, and and because it's tough, yeah, and it's gonna really be tough against Villanova to play both of them because Villanova doesn't have a single player on their roster taller than six foot nine, and their big men are really skilled. They know how to uh, well, stretch the it. They they know how to stretch it to the three point line. They're really good passers. They're willing passers. And so Jerry, how how do you imagine this this matchup of really big burly big men for Kansas and skilled uh, uh, maybe more perimeter-oriented big men for Villanova? Well, it's, it's obviously a contrast, as you've laid out. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not ready to predict who is going to win. Do you know the point spread on that game, though, by the no, way? No, but I can look it up while you Oh, talk. that'd be awesome. Um, but I know I would rather be on the side that has the shorter, quicker, more skilled uh, big men. I think as – when you look at team defense, and both Villanova and, and Kansas play great team defense, and you know take pride in their defense, are very well coached. It's a lot easier to help out on the interior because you know you can you can do things like front the post, pressure the ball, um, you know, help out on the weak side, bring guys to cover down. You know, we saw what uh, Duke did to Kansas, uh, double teaming the post with the bigs. It's a lot. It's what are you gonna do? when Sadiq Bey has the ball at the top of the key mm-hmm. and McCormick's guarding him, it's a lot harder to help out as far as team defense goes, right? Yeah. You know, you're not going to go just trap him right there at the top of the key. He has a three-point shot possibility if played off. He can drive the lane. Of course, you can try to help once he puts it on the floor. But you get my point. I think it's Absolutely. a lot harder to game plan. I would rather have the advantage with guys that have perimeter skills who are my five and four men yeah. than the opposite because I and Villanova's used to playing undersized. Yeah, I mean they and do they, every day. they run a swarming man to man defense with ball pressure and, and they're willing to front the post, they're bringing help, you know, they they scheme it. I think the job is going to be way tougher. For Kansas, now they might get it done. You know, I'm not saying those guys can't guard them, but it is it is a challenge, and I think it's a very compelling, um, you know, dichotomy of styles and abilities. Yeah, absolutely. So I just checked the 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 Vegas line isn't released yet, but Ken Palm Ken Palm has Kansas as a one point favorite. So really, really, you know, we expect this to be a very good game. Toss up, and and that's that's how I view it. Mm-hmm. Um, toss up. It, it is. Is it at Villanova? Yeah, it's at Villanova. So I would. Yeah, must if I was watch. Wagering, I would I would be on Villanova. Must watch TV this Saturday, and and the crazy thing is, uh, you know, in conclusion, it's not just Sadiq Bay. So so if, if McCormick or Azubuki, whoever it is, is out on pretty much any of the Villanova big men, every single one of them shoots at least thirty five percent from three, yeah. and that's respectable. You know, like that's that's well, not just respectable. Sadiq Bay is like forty four. Yeah, I mean that's that's a real tough matchup. I mean, that guy can put it on the floor. Both guys are really good. Uh, I love Robinson Earl when I scouted him, and he's shown what I thought he had. That guy can play. 
um, it is, it's going to be a compelling matchup. And and they've shown Villanova that they will uh, come to play in a big game. You know, especially we've already talked about their game with Baylor. We were both just enamored with the passing in that game. We can expect the same kind of stuff this and upcoming what, Saturday. Right. And what and what you got to be careful of when you when you look at games and try to you know predict or see you know you prognosticate on it, analyze it prior to one. <laughs> Kansas big guys might get the better of the Villanova big guys. You know, it's true. It's, it's tough good. to know, right? I, I know which side I'd rather be on as far as that matchup, but that's just one aspect of the game. And a lot of times analysts like focus too much because Villanova could get the better of them, say, in this matchup, but maybe Villanova's guards can't guard Kansas's guards. You know, so you, yeah. as far as who wins the game. Or like, you know, couldn't you imagine right. a situation where um, – where the Kansas big men, like, all of a sudden you look up and they've got 25 boards together, you know, and, and like, Villanova's just locked off the boards. You um, know? That's, you know, I doubt it, but it's but something like that could happen. It could right? happen, yeah. Right, you never know how guys are going to play on that particular day, but it's it's a great... It's a great contrast to think about and talk about like we're doing. It really is, and... You know, from from a, a content perspective, if Kansas loses, it would probably mean a sixth number one team yeah. in in eight weeks, which is just unheard of. I'm sure by the end of the season, we're going to look up and we're going to say, oh, well, you know, this team was good all along. But right now, it just really feels like this season is wide open. And, and that's why you need to tune into the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show to find out, to make sense of what's going on, to to have something to listen to when you mute the when you mute the broadcast. Uh, and so thank you so much, Jerry, for coming in this week. Yeah. Looking forward to uh, talking to you next week. I'm sure we'll have a new number one because because that's what the season has been gifting us. If you like what you hear, it would be really great if you could subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to follow Jerry on Twitter, at JerryMeyer247. And uh, until next week, this is 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show signing off.